Foster's got the word of the Lord today, so I'm going to hand the mic to her, and uh, you can welcome her. Good morning. I'm really excited to be here this morning. I'm really excited to share this word that the Lord gave me this morning. Uh, really excited. Um, tomorrow, this morning, I want to talk to you about dealing with fear in our lives, um, dealing with the fear that comes when we know we have an assignment from the Lord and we want to hesitate or we want to draw back. And the Lord is saying this morning, are you all in with me or all, are you not? And this is the challenge the Lord gave to me a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm going to give it to you this morning, okay? So <laughs> um, this has been stirring in me very strongly, so I, I'm excited. Um, in fact, speaking of fear, when, on Monday when Pastor Mitch texted me and said, uh, you know, would you share on Sunday, I said, can I get back to you? That was my text back. <laughs> wasn't because I had this busy schedule and I had to check my calendar. It was because of fear that I hesitated. And I texted Ken and I said, hey, Mitch has asked me to share on Sunday. What do I do? And he says, you say yes. <laughs> and so, but I didn't right away. I waited, I think, an hour or two. And, and, and the Lord said, are you all in or are you not? So I texted him and I said, I'm, I'm, I'll do it. So the funny thing is, is, well, this isn't funny, but as soon as I got that text from him and as soon as I responded and said yes, I, I had this physical reaction of fear. My heart started, I'm in my kitchen. Nobody's even there. My heart was pounding. My hands were shaking. My palms were getting sweaty. And uh, I had to go in my room, I put worship music on, and I thought, I've got to get ruthless with this fear that tries to rise up in me. And I realized, the Holy Spirit said, your body bows to the name of Jesus, it doesn't bow to fear. And so I said that out loud, I said, body, you bow to the name of Jesus, you do not bow to fear. Mind, you bow to the name of Jesus, you do not bow bow to fear. And I command in Jesus' name my heart to stop pounding, my stomach to stop churning, my palms to stop sweating, and it stopped. It did. So the Lord is so good. He wants to draw us out of what we're in bondage to. He's so gracious and so kind. He loves us so much. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. So I just want to give you a little background. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were spirit-filled. They loved the Lord. Um, from an early age, they taught me to know the Lord and, and to love him. And, but my mom always struggled with fear, irrational fear. My dad would go hunting, and my mom would put the chair under the doorknob, the front door, in case somebody would try to break in. She'd put sticks in the sliding glass door and in every window in the house so nobody could break in. She'd leave all the lights on in the house when my dad would be gone. And so I grew up with this. And so from a really young age, I battled fear, too. Um, I was terrified of the dark beyond what's normal. Most kids, you know, go through that phase of being scared. This was beyond what's normal for a child. And, um, and my mom, she did teach me. She'd say, well, you know, when you feel afraid, this is how you pray and this is what you do. But I could never get past it. It carried, it carried over into my teen years and into my adult years. It carried on into when Ken and I got married. So I'm in my late 20s and 30s, and I'm battling 
fear. It, it was such a huge bondage in my life. And when Ken would go away for the weekend, I would leave the lights on, just like my mom would do. And I knew it was irrational. I knew that, but I couldn't get past it. And I would pray, and I'd quote scripture, but it just, it wouldn't leave. And the other area of fear in my life was the fear of man. I was really worried about what people thought of me all the time, so much so that it would even spill over into my parenting. I would make decisions in parenting and discipline out of fear of what other people thought. That's the worst reason to discipline and parent your children. We, we, we discipline and we parent in faith, not out of fear. And uh, I, I've even had to go back to a couple of my kids and repent and say, I made these decisions based on fear rather than faith, and would you forgive me? One of my kids, it cost him dearly because of a decision I made in fear. And the Lord is good, and, and he's covered that, and that, that child has forgiven me, and we've moved on, and it's good. But So this was me, just constantly fearful. About 10 years ago, I had a dream one night that really shook me, and when I woke up, I knew the Lord was saying, it, it's time. I'm, I'm calling you out of this bondage into freedom. And so I got a hold of Kale and Jessica, who lead the Sozo ministry, the prayer ministry here at the church, you haven't done a sozo, talk to them. It's awesome. And uh, I said, I need to meet with you and pray with you. And so we went in and, and sat down. And two hours later, I walked out free from fear. That bondage had been broken. But it still comes calling. It still comes calling. It comes knocking on my door. The difference is I haven't allowed it to camp out in my life anymore. It's been driven out, it comes calling, and I've learned to say, no, I'm not giving you any real estate here. You have no business here in my life. It's not a sin to feel afraid, it's not wrong to feel fear, it's wrong to give it a place in your life, to give it real estate in your life. We have to get ruthless with fear. So recently... Well, here, let me back up. Last year was a really, really hard year for me personally. Um, Just some things in our family that were very painful. And by the end of this January, felt like a complete failure. And I have no business doing anything for the Lord. I am a failure. Lord, you know, this is, I'm checking out of here. Uh, You can use somebody else. And... um, have you ever felt that way before? Yeah, I'm just, I'm done, you know. I'm putting my sword down. I'm leaving the battle. And uh, he's so good. He just, he's just gently says, no, I love you too much to let you stay there. So a few weeks ago, um, actually it was when we were at the G3 conference. It was during worship, and I had my eyes closed, and I was worshiping, and I saw a picture of myself straddling a fence. I've got one leg here, one leg here, and I'm on the fence. And this time, it wasn't this gentle, you know, I, I, I want to bring you out of this fear, like it was the first time the Lord dealt with it. This time, the Holy Spirit said, are you in or are you not? There was no middle ground. 
you know what you've been called to do. You know the assignment I've given you. You know the gift that lies in you. Are you in or are you not? And I mean, when confronted with a choice like that from the Lord, really, what are you going to do? I mean, you can say no, but I didn't. And I knew, I knew I had to say I'm all in. No matter what, no matter what it costs, no matter the people that might come against me, no matter the lie of the enemy, I am all in. And so in that moment, I said, okay, Lord, I'm all in. And I started, these scenarios were going through in my mind like, oh boy, okay, what about this? And the Lord said, are you all in? Okay, I'm all in. This other scenario about what this person might think about me, are you all in? Okay, I'm all in. It doesn't matter what the other people think. It's like in my marriage, when I said yes to Ken, and when I covenanted myself to Ken, I'm saying it doesn't matter what another man thinks of me, because I am his, and he is mine, and his opinion is the only one that matters. And that's how it is with Jesus. When we covenant ourselves with Jesus, when we make ourselves his and he becomes ours, it doesn't matter what another person thinks of us. So, freedom from fear and insecurity begins when we say, I'm all in. When we take that step and say, that's it, I'm yours, I'm all yours. Okay, so this morning we're going to talk about uh, three different men in the Bible that uh, had assignments from God and were confronted at different points with voices they had to silence. So the first one we're going to talk about is Gideon. In Judges chapter 6, it starts, and I'm not going to read it all to you, but so the Midianites had... Uh, infiltrated the land, and in, in chapter 6 of Judges, it says they were so numerous they couldn't be counted, that their camels couldn't be counted. This was a massive invasion of, of, by the Midianites into Israel. And the, the Israelites were scared. They were hiding in caves and in mountains. And here's Gideon threshing his wheat and minding his own business, but he's doing it in a secret place so the Midians won't, Midianites won't know where he is And uh, because they, they ravaged the land. They took all the food. They just destroyed the crops. And so Gideon is minding his own business in this little hideout, threshing his wheat, and an angel of the Lord appears. And what does he say to him? Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. Um, so the Lord is saying to Gideon, I'm here, I'm calling you out, you're a mighty warrior, and I want you to bring deliverance to your people. Now, one thing about Gideon is that he's a very insecure man, very, very insecure. In fact, his response to the angel is, wait a second, I am from the the lowest of the lowest of the clans, And in that, I am the weakest. He's saying, I am the lowest person there is in all of Israel. Why are you coming to me? But what did the Lord say to him when he, or the angel of the Lord say to him when he greeted him? Mighty warrior. Gideon was full of self-doubt, but the Lord saw beyond that 
the Lord saw in Gideon who he could be when filled with the spirit and the power of God. He called out his destiny. He called out his identity from the very beginning. He called him mighty warrior, and Gideon was anything but that. He uh, asked the Lord repeatedly over and over for confirmation. Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure you've got the right man? Okay, if, if this is really you, prove it to me this way. If this is really you, prove it to me that way. He repeatedly asked the Lord for confirmation. And the Lord was so gracious and so patient with Gideon. And I want to say this morning, the Lord says to you, mighty warrior... Whatever it is that the Lord is calling you to do and asking of you that is hard, that is scary, that is challenging, mighty warrior, that's you. No matter how you feel, that's you. So Gideon finally decides to get on board with the Lord and agree with him that, okay, I'll do it. I will lead these men to defeat the Midianites. And the Lord pairs down the group of men. They're going to go up against the Midianites to 300 men. Up against an army that's so big that it says they can't be counted. And toward a couple chapters later, it says uh, they were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I can't even think of how big of an army that would be. 300 men. One man who's not quite sure he's the warrior that God says he is, up against this vast army. And you know what? All they had to do was show up. All they had to do was obey the word of the Lord to them. And God did it all. It said that all they had to do was stand their ground. They blew their trumpets, they broke the jars and lit the torch, and the Midianites fled in panic. All they had to do was show up and stand their ground. And the Lord did the rest. Number two. So, okay, first, there's the voice of self-doubt that rises up in us. And sometimes we are our own worst enemy, right? I know for me that that's the case. I was my own worst enemy. I was the one talking myself down from the assignments that the Lord has had for me. So... Our, our own voice is the first voice that we've got to bring in submission to the Lord. Number two uh, is the voice of the enemy. So a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mitch taught us out of the book of Nehemiah. I don't know about you guys, but I have been so excited about that word, about finding our purpose and walking in our purpose that the Lord has for each of us. Nehemiah was an incredible man. He really was. So I don't want to go into a lot of history because Pastor Mitch did a great job of doing that. If you didn't hear it, you need to go listen to it. It was really good. But essentially, Nehemiah is, the Lord has put it on his heart to go back to the land of Israel, to to Jerusalem, to rebuild the wall. Um, He didn't know that the land. He hadn't been raised there. He He was in exile. And so he was going back to an unknown place to rebuild the wall. And uh, so he, he gets his troops gathered, and, and they're, they're building the wall and working on the wall. And Tobias and Sanballat come along, and they start picking at him, picking at him, picking at him, and telling him that he needs to stop his work. They were really angry that he was doing this. And Nehemiah stood his ground. He would not quit the assignment the Lord had for him. You can count on the enemy coming along 
to pick at you, to try to scare you, to try to get you to put your tools down and come off the wall. And over and over, the enemies of Nehemiah did this. There was great, great opposition. They tried to stir up trouble. They tried to plot against Nehemiah and the men that worked with him. And eventually, it comes to a point where Tobias and Sanballat hire a man a false prophet, the word calls him, to come to Nehemiah and say, hey, dude, they're going to kill you. You better run for your life. In fact, you need to run to the temple and hide. And I love Nehemiah's response because he's so full of faith and he's so committed to the assignment that the Lord has given him. And so his response is, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. In the face of physical death, he said, I will not go. The Lord has given me this assignment. I will not come down from the wall. I will not put my tools down. I'm going to do what the Lord has asked me to do, even with a threat of death. And he did it. And the enemy was silenced. And they went on and they finished that wall. We have to remind the enemy that we have an assignment from God. And we have to remind ourselves that, too. And I won't come down from this wall, even with a threat of death. Most of us won't be faced with death as a threat. Then there's David. Now, this is a story, David and Goliath. I know most of us are very familiar with it. We've been hearing this story since we were three years old, right? So sometimes it's we've become so familiar with a story that... It may not impact us the way it can. And so I want you to just kind of listen with fresh ears. Um, Two weeks ago, during spring break, Cameron was uh, the first kid up in the morning and sitting on the couch, and I went and sat beside him, and I said, well, why don't we read our Bibles? And he said, well, would you read to me David and Goliath? I can't tell you how many times I've read this David and Goliath to him. It's his favorite story. Like, yeah, can't you pick another one? You know, but okay, David and Goliath it is. So I open up the Bible and begin to read it to him. And I was struck by a couple of things that I hadn't really seen before. So Jesse, David's father, says, Hey, David, I need you to take some food to your brothers down at the battlefield. They're up against the Philistines. And um, so David says, Okay, I'll leave the sheep in the field and I'll. I'll do. So he packs up the food, and he goes down to the battlefield, and he, he hears all the commotion and what's going on, and he's like, hey, you know, what's going on down here? And, and they tell him, well, you know, Goliath keeps coming out, and he's taunting us, and he's, he's scared. we're scared of him. In fact, it says that all the, man, all the men ran from this threat of Goliath. Now, Goliath, as we know, he's nine feet tall, He wears an armor of 125 pounds. The tip of his spear, the head of his spear alone is 15 pounds. I mean, he's an impressive figure, a bronze helmet. My nephew played football, college football for Cal, and he was... He was an offensive lineman, and he is six foot five, and he weighed 325 when he was playing. Now, I'm not a small woman, but next to him, I felt completely dwarfed. When when he would hug me, I just, wow. So I cannot imagine coming up against a nine-foot-tall, who knows how much he weighed, with all of his armor gleaming in the sun. I mean, I'd be scared too. 
but not David. In fact, when he goes to talk to Saul about it, and Saul questions him, like, are you sure you, you can do this? What does he tell Saul? He says, when I've been out in my father's fields tending the sheep, I killed lions, I killed bears with my bare hands. I'm ready for this fight. And the time that you feel that maybe the Lord's not doing much with you, I'm telling you he's preparing you for the battle. He's preparing you for the fight. The, the challenges in your marriage, the challenges at work, the challenges in your parenting, where it's just like day after day after day, he's using that and he's preparing you for a greater battle, a greater fight. Because your next-door neighbor whose marriage is struggling, they might need to see that you stood firm in faith for your marriage or for your child or for your job. They need what you learned out in the field tending the sheep and fighting off lions and bears. So this is what David does. He doesn't have any fear because he's, he's already killed fierce creatures. So what's Goliath? He knows the spirit of God in him. He knows the power of God in him. But the voice that rises up against David is the voice of his own brother. His brother Eliab gets really offended when he finds out that David's willing to fight Goliath. I think, this is just my own two cents, I think that he felt ashamed. Because as it said, it says all the men ran. And that must have included Eliab. I mean, it says all the men. And here is David, the youngest of all the children, the youngest of all the sons. I don't know, he's 16, 17 years old. And he shows up and says, I'll take Goliath down. What shame his brother must have felt. But his brother tries to turn it on David. And he says, who do you think you are showing up here? You've come just to be a spectator. You've come just to watch the battle. And he tries to shoot David down. And that's, so that's the other voice that will come up against us. Sometimes it's from the people that we think would understand the assignment the Lord has for us. If anybody should have understood, it should have been Eliab. He was a soldier in the army of Israel. He should have been one who said, yeah, David, go for it. I'm with you in this. I'm with you. We do need to defend Israel, we do need to put this man, Goliath, down who keeps coming out daily and taunting us and trying to disgrace the name of God in Israel. But he didn't. He shot him down. A couple years ago, Ken and I got a call about a little foster baby. Uh, we've been doing foster care for 16th, this is our 16th year. And right before we got that call, we had just finished a 14-month-long placement a teenage girl that was with us and it that was one of the toughest things that we have walked through and it just about did us in and in fact I said I I don't think I can do this anymore I think I I need to just be done doing foster care and the Lord said nope you're not done and we got a call about a little baby his name is Mason a lot of you guys know him and this little cute bundle of six-month-old babiness came and he was so cute and sweet and we immediately just fell in love and and the pain of the previous 14 months with that other challenge challenging child uh all of that just began to melt our hearts were goo with this little guy and 
So we had only had him for maybe a week or two. I had a relative that was visiting from California, and um, he was on the phone with another person in my family and had it on speakerphone and didn't know that I was just around the corner where I could hear the whole conversation. And so he says to the person he was talking to, oh, did you hear Ken and Becky, they got a new foster baby? And I hear the response of the other person, and they were horrified. What? Are they crazy? And not like, you know, Kathleen McCall and I will say, oh, we must be crazy to say yes to this. Ha, ha, ha. Not that kind of crazy. No, this was a, a complete shooting us down for our decision to open our home and say yes to the Lord by saying yes to this baby. And they proceeded to go on for several minutes about why this was such a terrible decision and it was stupid and why would they do this? And I was crushed. This is a person I've known my whole life. This is a person I thought loved me and had my best interest at heart, and maybe they don't totally understand why we do what we do, but I at least thought they had my back in it. And I heard the whole conversation, and I went in my room, and I just wept that this person that I love and says they love me would just tear down Ken and me like that, you know. And this is, this is what David's brother tried to do. Tried to tear him down. Now, in my story, the Lord restored it. Um, that per- I didn't say anything to that person. I decided in that moment to let it go, to forgive, and to move on. Um, but they actually came to me. They found out that I had overheard, and they came in tears and said, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? I do love you. I do support you. That was just this terrible thing for me to say. So the Lord restored that and covered it, and the relationship is fine, just to let you know. Okay, but that's not always the case. It's not always the case. And often, when we say yes to the Lord, the people around us are going to be saying, are you crazy? That's not, that doesn't even make sense. Why would you do that? Now, I'm not talking about being reckless. Of course, we use wisdom. We consult Pastor Mitch, Pastor Josh, the people in our lives that, um, that we trust and we know they hear from the Lord. Yeah, I'm not saying we just run half-cocked into some crazy idea. No, we pray about it. We submit it to leadership. But at a certain point, we just, when we know it's the Lord, we've been given the green light. When the authority in our lives is saying, yes, we have to go with it, regardless of what the people around us are going to say. There's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be opposition. Jesus, they said about him, his own, and they said, isn't he the carpenter's son? They couldn't, they were, they were stumbled by the fact that he was the son of Joseph, that he was the carpenter's son. Who does he think he is going around preaching and performing miracles? He's just the carpenter's son. His own people, it said he, he had no honor in his own, amongst his own people in his hometown. So if it happened to Jesus, you can count on it happening to you. 
So David, I just love this. This is where he says, I'm all in. In Second Sam, or sorry, First Samuel 17, um, he said, around chapter, or verse 28, he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I will go fight him. And he did. Of course, we know he shows up with his little bag of rocks, little five stones, and the first one, phew, 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 and it takes Goliath down just like that. All that training in the fields paid off that day. All that patience with the sheep paid off that day. So the Lord is saying this morning to a lot of you, you know what's in your heart. You know what I've put on your heart to do. You know what I'm stirring up in you. Will you go after it? Or are you going to hesitate? Are you going to ride the fence? Or are you all in? What has God put on your heart to do? Who is he calling you to love? Where is he calling you to go? It might be to the nations. It might be to Walmart. I don't know. But each of you has an assignment from the Lord. Are you going to let your own self-doubt or the voice of the enemy or the voice of others hold you back and cause you to hesitate? Because here is what is at stake. It's the name of Jesus being made famous, being made known in the nations, in our nation, in our county, in our town. It's for his name's sake that we say yes. It's out of obedience and love for the Lord and wanting to see all men come to a knowledge of of who Jesus is and what he's done for him. This is what is at stake. It's not just about us. It's about them. The Moravians, I, I, I can't go into all of it, but the Moravians were this, this group. Uh, it was in Germany back in the mid-1700s, Count Zinzendorf. He started this prayer movement that lasted 100 years of 24-hour-a-day prayer. It did not end for 100 years. And out of that movement was birthed this missions movement. It's phenomenal. I encourage you to go read about it. But there's one story that wrecks me every time I hear it. Two of these young men who were part of this prayer movement, the Lord put it on their heart to go to the West Indies and take the gospel to the African slaves who were working in the the plantations there. So in October of 1765, these two men boarded a ship. They're in their 20s. And what they had to do in order to reach the slaves was to sell themselves into slavery. There was no other way for it to happen. These two men of means and wealth left it all behind and said they would do whatever it took to take the gospel in the name of Jesus to the slaves in the West Indies. And so they board the ship, and you know what? It's documented what they said as the ship is sailing off. It says they lifted their hands, and they cried out, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That was their battle cry. That was their heart cry, that Jesus would receive the reward of his suffering. His blood was poured out, and he purchased the souls of men. That's what is at stake here. That every man, woman, and child would have an opportunity to hear the name of Jesus. The Father is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to eternal life. 
And so when we hesitate, when we allow fear to grip us, we are saying that that's my, un, my being uncomfortable outweighs their need to know Jesus. That's not okay. I'm not okay with that in me. So this is what is at stake. The name of Jesus becoming known. Romans 8.15 says, and again, this is a scripture we hear all the time. It says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba there means Daddy. You didn't receive a a spirit of fear. You received a spirit of sonship. Embrace it and run with it. And in 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul is saying this to Timothy, his young apprentice. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The gift was there. This is the gift of God, Paul calls it. So the gift is in you. The call is in you. Will you fan it into flame? You have to fan it into flame by saying, yes, I'm all in. I will go. I will speak. I will do what you want me to go and speak and do. Fan it into flame. The purpose has been placed in you by the Lord. It's a gift from the Father. This assignment that he's given you, the purpose that he has for you, it is a gift. Why would we run from fear, from this this gift the Lord has given us? He has invited us to partner with him. That's astonishing to me that the king of the universe invites me to partner with him in expanding the kingdom. How fun. That is really fun. And in Ephesians 1, 19, it says the, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is what dwells in us. Or sorry, the same power, not the same spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. You guys, that's phenomenal. Do we know it? Do we embrace that really? Do we really understand that? I, know, I mean, I know I don't. I mean, because it blows my mind to think about that. That the same power that called Christ from the grave is what dwells in me. And you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So it's time to get ruthless with faith. Sorry, with fear. (laughs) Say yes to faith. It's time to get ruthless with fear and stop allowing it any foothold in your life. So the challenge this morning is, are you all in or are you not? There is no middle ground. Are you hot or are you cold? Will I obey? Will I not? There is not a gray area. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. It doesn't get any clearer than that. If we love him, we will obey him. Period. Would you guys stand with me this morning? If that's you this morning... If you are hesitating from saying yes to Jesus, 
because either of your own self-doubt or that nagging voice of the enemy that's just like dripping water in the middle of the night or because of people around you, you fear what people around you are going to think, would you be willing to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me? Okay. The Lord wants to set you free this morning from that fear. So I'm going to pray over you, and then Ted's going to lead us in, in that song that we are no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of God. Okay. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for inviting us to partner with you in seeing your kingdom come and your will be done in Union County as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, that you, you count us in on this, that you, you invite us and you include us in this. You are so good and so kind and so gracious that you would ask us to partner with you. Even with our frailties, even with our weakness, even with the fears, you invite us still. And thank you that you love us enough not to leave us where we are, but you call us out of bondage into freedom. Thank you for freedom from fear this morning, Lord. Forgive us for our hesitation. Forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for our reluctance to obey. This morning we say yes, Lord. Yes to you. We will obey. We will not hesitate. We love you, Lord. It's a joy to say yes to you. It's a joy to obey you. And we will love you with our yes. We will love you with our obedience, Lord. I break off fear in Jesus' name. Off of every person here who's hesitating, we say no to fear. No to fear. No to hesitation. No to reluctance. Fear, you have no authority here. You cannot camp out in our lives anymore. We have an assignment to do. We have a call and a purpose on our lives from God, and we will not put our tools down. We will stay on the wall. We will complete the job that the Lord has given us to do. So fear, go in Jesus' name.